on iRelaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch, and your host. Today, we welcome Pam Waterman. Pam is a 3D printing application engineer at Phoenix Analysis and Design Technologies, or PADT for short. What is most unique about Pam's career history is that she took a 31-year career break for childcare and elder care reasons, which is a record-breaking long career break. She graduated from UMass Amherst with a bachelor's degree in astrophysics and microwave engineering, and I love that she left her graduation year on her LinkedIn profile. That's something that career coaches are split on. I happen to uh, be on the side of leaving those dates on, so love to see that. Pam worked in technical and engineering roles and then went into technical writing and used that skill to keep connected professionally on and off during her career break. And, and we'll hear some more about that when we speak with her. We are going to find out exactly how Pam got her current relaunch role after such a long career break. Pam, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Thanks, Carol. I am so glad to talk with you after accessing so many of your resources. You're doing such a great service. Well, thank you so much for saying that. And I am going to definitely ask you more about how we were helpful, but it's thrilled to, to hear that we were. I wanted to know if we could start by asking you to walk us through your early career until you took your career break. Sure. Well, I grew up with Star Trek, the original version, and the <laughs> Apollo space missions. So I wanted to be an astronaut. But back then, women were not allowed, and I also had lousy eyesight. You know, nowadays, that now there were those seems to be an issue, but it was. So I figured the next best thing would be to study astronomy. Mm. I begged my parents for a telescope when I was 12. I, I got it from the Sears catalog. I still have it. That's awesome. I then followed a degree program, mostly what's called optical astronomy, until I had a class in something called radio astronomy. And that meant I got to work with equipment hands-on at an observatory and really just started wondering how it all worked. So when I heard that it involved using microwave engineering skills, I decided to start taking classes in that and found I loved it just as much. So I had this great plan. I headed to grad school. I had an awesome advisor who let me split my coursework between radio astronomy and microwave engineering, and I got my master's. Mm. But you know how you make grand plans and then life happens? Oh, yes. <laughs> so I minored in French. And my grand plan was to work at some kind of microwave engineering company for a few years, get that experience under my belt, and then move to France because there's a radio observatory in the Pyrenees Mountains. And I mm. thought, you know, why not? So uh, I took a job in the Boston area, which is my hometown, with a company called Raytheon, working on radar systems. My first day on the job, I think I'd been there 15 minutes, my boss introduced me to this really cute looking guy who ended up being my cubicle mate. We, we got off to a little bit of a rocky start, but we were married 11 months later. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. So I love my husband. We just celebrated 40 years, but he had no interest in France. And mm -hmm. at the same time, I found I really liked engineering, all that hands-on hardware. So I uh, worked my way through that company. A couple of others learned more about systems and components, worked in satellite communication systems, ended up at a small company. Again, really liked what I was doing, 
But here's where the changes started coming in. I was working 80 hours a week, doing a little bit of everything, including marketing. And we wanted to start a family. And with my husband, also an engineer, we just felt something had to change. Mm-hmm. And it, I think even now is just really hard to find a part-time engineering job. I can appreciate that. So unless you're like super expert consultant, you know, it's going to be tricky. So I decided I read that career advice book, What Color Is Your Parachute? You know oh, that right. one? I'm sure oh, you yeah. Classic. Yeah. Um, and I realized technical writing could be kind of like a sideways parallel path that would fulfill my need. I wanted it to pay well. I wanted really flexible hours. And I wanted to stay connected to the cutting edge of engineering. So after seven years of full-time engineering, I switched, worked for a little for a magazine and worked for a marketing department of a computer company. And then after some layoffs and reorganizations, I went out on my own, coincidentally while pregnant with our second child. So that was how it all started. Got it. Wow. That, that, that's so interesting and you know, <laughs> coincidental that um, I'm based right outside of Boston and Raytheon is one of our corporate clients and you know, Raytheon has just merged with United Technologies yes. and is now Raytheon Technologies. And even very early on, and I know this is part of your experience, we did work with um, BBM, which was acquired by Raytheon. Oh my gosh, yes, yes. That, that was my four year stint in marketing. That's right, I thought I remember seeing that on your profile. So anyway, lots of really good connections there. So Pam, uh, you were, pivoting and and using this technical writing as you're saying it's sort of a parallel track when you were pregnant with your second child. I'm just wondering, you know, you ended up having this super long career break, 31 years. It's our record long. It's the longest career break that we're aware of at IBM. And we're aware of thousands of them. Um, And I was just wondering if you had any idea at all that you would be on career break that long when you first started. Uh, no, the original plan was maybe five years. Uh, we also knew we were relocating and that was going to uh, put a little monkey wrench in it. Um, but my mom, who lived with us for 25 years, was awesome. She had some health issues right around the time we had our third child. So at that point, I guess I shifted a little. And I thought, well, maybe when the youngest is in kindergarten, which would have made it a 10-year break. Mm-hmm. But what I simply couldn't foresee was uh, a number of moves from my husband's job that made like settling down a little tricky. Then that my mom would have multiple, multiple health problems. She was awesome and sweet and sharp, but you know, just, just needed someone and you know, you just do what you have to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've heard, I'd say from many relaunchers that they anticipated their career breaks to be much shorter. uh, But one of the, common ways that a career break gets extended is that there's an elder care situation that happens sort of on top of a child care situation or maybe when you think that you're in a position to be going back to work and you're you're because your kids are more independent or at, at some uh stage where where you think the timing is right if that is why you took your career break in the first place and then all of a sudden you're presented with an elder care issue you know the, these career breaks get extended so yeah I looked at your LinkedIn profile, I know, and, we, and we've had a little bit of a prior uh, exchange, and I know that you're involved with the Society of Women Engineers and the Society of Manufacturing Engineers, which is now evidently known as SME, right. for pretty much over three decades. And I wanted to know if you could talk about the role of your involvement with these organizations 
during your career break and I guess while you were maybe, I don't want to say in and out of your technical writing career, but like I'm guessing. I took breaks even from that. Yeah. Yeah. So what were you simply paying dues? Were you going to meetings? How were you engaging with these organizations? I really tried to stay involved uh, in the beginning, primarily more with Society of Women Engineers, although they both have ended up being a lifeline. So different ways. I joined SWE in 1984 at a point where I had literally never met another woman engineer. Mm -hmm. At Raytheon, when I started in 1979, they said I was the first woman engineer since World War II, which was pretty crazy. Wow. Um, And I will say my engineering colleagues always treated me well. But mm-hmm. it was rough dealing with a lot of the people on the manufacturing floor and then also mm-hmm. people, honestly, like in the armed forces until there were more women in that, too. So just getting to compare notes with other women about uh, women engineers, about life and work, uh, wherever I moved was amazing. Um, I stayed connected by going to meetings when I could. And then I also joined the National Editorial Board. So once a year, I went to Chicago and met with people and got like the broader picture of what was going on with the group and just topics of interest. So that was Mm -hmm. sweet. Mm -hmm. And as I got into my freelance writing career and attended a lot of engineering conferences related to the topics I had to write about, the ones that really seemed to stand out were those offered by the Society of Manufacturing Engineers. And since I just love doing everything hands-on, it made sense to join that group too. So while I say SWE helped me stay connected with the women engineers, SME let me expand my network technically, especially as I got into 3D printing or what we call sometimes added manufacturing. And then when I was ready to shift into high gear and really start trying to get into reentry, one of the things I was able to do was I emailed dozens of my contacts within SME and just started asking them for advice. Mm. So I was going to get into this a little later, but let's just get into it right now. So you said as you were getting more involved in 3D printing, can you talk about what that evolution was like and how you got more involved and did you educate yourself? Did you take courses or certifications that were connected through SME or you found out about them through? Yes. Yeah. How did that all come together? Okay. More great questions. Well, the evolution of it was that um, in 96, I think it was, I had already been writing for a, a variety of technical trade magazines, you know, just on a freelance basis. And one of the ways you, get new clients as you pitch an article. So I found out there was a new one, a new magazine called Desktop Engineering coming out. So I proposed an article, they liked it, they bought it, and then they gave me an assignment. And they said, we need you to write about something called rapid prototyping. And I remember asking, what is that? Like, how is it different from just making something really fast? And my awesome editor gave me the phone number of a guy who's like the guru of this whole field. Mm. I called him. He was just so kind. He answered tons of questions. And he said, you need to start going to these conferences that SME sponsors that are focused on what was originally called rapid prototyping and then has evolved into all these different end uses about 3D printers. So, Pam, let me ask you, you said you originally were doing this research and you met this guru because you were doing research for the article, but at some point you got really interested in it yourself. And then can you pinpoint the moment where you thought, 
this is where I want to relaunch. And then also, can you give us just a little bit of a timeline here? Like how many years before your relaunch were these conversations happening? Sure. I would say a good five years prior to that, maybe even more like eight. Uh, it clearly, to me, was such a, an evolving and exciting and limitless field that I just, I just had this feeling this is when, when I ever found the opportunity to get back into hands-on engineering, it would be in this. So mm. I just tried to cultivate a lot of connections. You know, my mom still needed me a lot, but I just had this dream in my head. And I, I just, it sounds kind of crazy, but I thought, I am not going to die before I have the word engineer on my business card again. Mm. What, what mm -hmm. can I do? So I uh, went back to college. Uh, we have a fabulous local community college. And this would be like about 2015, I think. Uh, got, you know, I'm serious about it. So I took a, a course in computer-aided design. I took one in properties and materials, and then I took a full semester course in 3D printing. And by the end of it, I asked the lab manager, could I do an internship? I need hands-on experience. Uh -huh. He's really great, but he says, well, we don't do internships. So I said, can I volunteer? I will do anything for you. And uh -huh. he was awesome. He said, yeah, I'll find some kind of dusty form for you to sign and have you come in. So I, at that point, told my editor, I'm going to focus on doing what I have to. I'm not going to write anymore. And uh -huh. he turned that around. He says, you know what? We want to start a blog all about 3D printing. You have carte blanche. Go out, research, be people, connect, and write about it. Mm. So wow. it, was a, it was a fabulous entree. And I did that for about two years. And I think because I was just so connected and talking to people that I ended up at a local manufacturing meeting, ran into someone at a company that I'd known about for years. And it was just something that she said made me think maybe I could offer my services to her company almost like as a backup for projects that they were running behind on or like needed an extra hand. And I, I don't know if you feel this, but I feel like I get older, I get bolder, I have nothing to lose. Uh -huh. So the next day I drafted a letter to one of the company's partners that I'd known a little bit off and on. And uh, I figured I had nothing to lose. So I literally started my letter. I have wanted to work for your company since you first gave me a tour in 1999. <laughs> you know me as a technical writer. Now I want you to get to know me as the engineer that I once was and I'm working hard to be again. Could we meet and talk? I love it. And I, and I, I love that you gave us the actual language because <laughs> I hope our listeners are, are focusing on that, that, that wording. Um, and can we just rewind for one second? I want to focus in on something where you said, I found myself at a local manufacturer's meeting and ran into someone I knew for years. How did that happen? Was this like an S a regional or a local meeting of the Society of Manufacturing Engineers? Or like what oh. was that event and who was that person? Sure, good question. Um, it was because of SME, they jointly kind of sponsor or share info about other groups. And this was some kind of defense aerospace manufacturing group that I didn't even know existed. And I wasn't even sure I wanted to go to the meeting because it sounded like it was going to be a lot more businessy contract discussions. 
But mm-hmm. I thought I've got to put myself out there. You never knew who you're going to run into. And mm-hmm. man, this was this was the result. I re-encountered this woman that I had met up off and on a few times. And she she works at my company. She's at PADT. And she ended up just like re-inspiring me. And I thought, you know what? Maybe this is the time. Mm. I, I also want to point out how much your process was curiosity driven and sort of knowledge, uh, like acquiring knowledge driven. You got really interested in this topic and it was because initially of this writing assignment, you took courses, you asked for a volunteer role, which you got, you got involved in professional associations, you had conversations with people and it was more around not, can you get, help me get a job, but it was more around I'm, in this process of reinventing myself. And then at some point, it felt like it was the right moment to put this all together. Yeah. Oh, true. I I love learning. You know, I have friends who are retiring and I fully respect it. They have worked so hard for 40 plus years, but Mm -hmm. I feel like I've been in a different mode and I'm just raring to go. It's like, put me in coach. Mm -hmm. What, What can I do for the next 10 years? So I want to take a snapshot of that statement because the way you describe yourself on your LinkedIn profile really captures some of this. And I just want to read a piece of it. You write, this is on your LinkedIn profile. You write, psych to help customers solve problems with 3D printing with the enthusiasm of an intern and the insight of an industry veteran. In the field of additive manufacturing, I enjoy working with teams to advance AM design, build, post-process materials, testing, and create application solutions. So I just love the way you express <laughs> that combination. And it just it's just got to really grab people's attention. So I wanted to highlight that. And I also wanted to know, so you got this introduction. Um, this, this woman, it sounds like maybe she kind of went to bat for you. But when you started with the interview process, did you have to answer a lot of technical questions? Like what was the process and what was the actual role you ended up applying for and getting? Oh, well, good, because it was a process. The first meeting, in my mind, was just a conversation. You know, here was another great contact. It happened to be at the company that I wanted to work for. But could we just have a conversation? Um, Mm -hmm. I had no knowledge of any position being open. And I had just had that tiny little inspiration the night before that I thought, oh, maybe they've got some kind of project where I think the talk was even evolving, having a second source. That's a term in in the defense industry that, you know, if something happens with your first source and you can't get the parts, you better have a backup. And Mm -hmm. I just started thinking in terms of people. And I thought, what if they got really busy and the person who was focused on 3D printing didn't have time? Could I help out a little bit? So the first 20 minutes or so was kind of about some research projects they were doing and maybe some writing. And I was saying, sure, I could help you with that, even though in my mind I was like, oh, I want to get back to hands-on hardware. But yeah, I could keep writing. It could Uh open the door. And then it evolved into talking about what technologies they do there. And it was just, it was like a ping pong game going back and forth. I I was so excited and he was kind of lighting up. And I just have knowledge. I can talk, like not to sound like bragging, but I've been immersed in this field. So I could just answer or respond to his comments. And so by the end of the hour, he goes, wait a minute, I want you to meet someone else. And he brings in like another partner. And then he said, 
well, I think we should have you talk to our sales group. And it just, just happened that their 3D printing application engineer had resigned two weeks before to move into sales. And it was wow. happening. I, I, Unbelievable. I, stars aligning. All right, so let's get into a, a, another aspect of this that we, of course, have to get to, and that has to do with age and ageism. <laughs> and I am going to say happy birthday because I know it's your 60th <laughs> birthday today. And I wanted to know what role did age play? Did you feel conspicuous because you knew that you were probably one of the oldest people that they were talking to, or I don't even know what the age range was in the company? Was, was age ever an issue for you as you were moving through this process? It certainly was at top of mind, but I, I guess I was just sort of excited to take on the challenge to prove myself that the age was irrelevant. It was attitude and, you know, learning and asking questions and things. So uh, I will say, though, that when I went back and started classes, I had a bit of trepidation, even though I know today's college students have a full range of ages compared to 30, 40 years ago. Um, I put a hot pink streak in my gray hair. Mm. Um, I felt I needed a way to show instantly or hopefully as soon as I walked in the classroom, I'm, I'm here, you know, I am tuned in. Uh -huh. It seemed to work. So I will say people, I think, are surprised by my age when they meet me. But then we all just sort of jump in and start talking techie and it works out. I'm also fortunate my daughters are in their 20s and 30s. I, I love them. They're very active. They're nearby. We hang out with their friends. And, you know, that keeps you young, I guess. And my mom was an awesome inspiration. I used to tell people she was like 80 going on 40. Mm, uh -huh. Well, I love the hot pink streak in your hair. I, I mean, it's something like... <laughs> You kind of thought about that and you decided to do that um and then the other piece and this is something that we talk about a lot in terms of the antidote to ageism being subject matter expertise you became a subject matter expert and so as, as you know you're you're illustrating exactly what we talk about what uh, when we talk about subject matter expertise that people will focus more on the substance of what you're talking about than the fact that you know, you're however old you are. Yeah, I, I had to kind of learn that early on, even flip side, like when I was very young, I was 23 and looked 15 and was trying mm. to tell Air Force colonels what they could and couldn't put on their airplane. And they thought I was a secretary. So, you know, I had to learn early on to jump in and sort of the trick I found in meetings was to ask a very deeply technical question. And they, they'd kind of go, oh, and then, then they'd answer it. And then it seemed to solve the issue. So you're saying you did that when you were much younger and you do that again now? Yes. It's, oh, okay. So let's repeat that. You say you ask a deeply technical question and, and what, so that sort of reorients, it's like, whoa, okay, this person's serious kind of thing. Yes. It seems to have that effect. Like, wow, she must know what she's talking about if she could ask that detail the question. Mm, okay. I hope everyone's making a note of that. that that's, that's great advice. Have there, has there been any like commentary on your age or, you know, joking? Or I remember even when I went back to work, I was age 42. I was working for a 37 year old. I was clearly the grandmother of the operation at that age because mm -hmm. everyone else was so young. 
And I remember thinking to myself, it was like slightly humorous, but no one really ever called me out on it specifically. So I just wanted to know, have you, did you notice anything? I have been so fortunate. You know, I work with everyone from probably close to 60 through 40s, 20s, the whole range. Uh, I think part of what helps with this particular field, but I think it could spread to others, is simply that 3D printing in, in a way is unique. You can pinpoint it started 33 years ago, which is not a long time. And I've been in that field for 23 of those 33 years. So in terms of being on a, a same sort of basis as people much younger than me, in certain ways I am. And then I even have like a, a background knowledge. I can sort of relay the history. Oh, well, I remember when that company was founded, you know, in 1990, but did you know they were bought out by so-and-so and they developed this technology and it's, it's a way of sharing information back and forth. They might know more hands-on technical because they built a 3D printer in their bedroom and I never did, but Uh I try to make it two-way. Yes. So how do you look at the future, right, career-wise right now? Like, do you have new career goals for yourself? How long have you been in this role? And have you had any surprises on the technical side or... Or did you get in there and feel like, wow, I can I can totally do this and I can do a lot more? Like, how has that all felt? Ah, well, I learn something every day because there are people I work with who, who literally like run these machines day in and day out. And I don't because I have multiple parts and facets to my job. I do get involved in marketing. In fact, I was told by my friend that one of the ways I beat out other people and let's say probably much younger people for the job was even if somebody else had the similar technical experience, I also had all of this marketing and writing and broader business perspective. And they brought me on knowing that they were going to actually have me come full circle and write blog posts. Mm. Um, I also have gotten pulled into training, which I hadn't expected. We find that we have customers who bring in this technology and they're pretty new to it and they want to make sure their employees understand the potential of it. So just like this past Wednesday, I had to give a two hour discussion, which was an overview of the field and then specifics about a couple of the technologies and materials they'd be using and then field questions on it. So I'm learning and growing through being forced to research and present that information more, but I love it. Um, I suppose, you know, maybe in five years I could train other people to do it. And that would be cool if our company was growing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I want to just ask you about a couple of things. First of all, recognizing Society of Women Engineers, we have a very amazing collaboration with the Society of Women Engineers called the STEM Reentry Task Force, where we have now 32 global giants of companies in a range of sectors um, that are members. And each one is creating its own return to work program that usually starts in the technical area, but then expands to other functions. So love, love, love the Society of Women Engineers and also just loved hearing about their role in keeping you connected. Well, I'm so excited that you did because really that's how I found out about our iRelaunch because you Ah. started the collaboration with SWE. And, you know, I looked into it in the beginning. I think your focus understandably was a little bit more like the financial world and 
I thought, well, really cool, but doesn't apply to me. And then when you did that official collaboration, I thought, oh, now the doors are open. The connections are there. This is a gold mine. You know, your podcast, your articles, you were totally targeted to what I was trying to do. Well, that was going to be my next question was asking you specifically what was helpful, um, you know, from our resources. So it sounds like the podcasts and articles were helpful and knowing about the, the task force. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, I learned about the latest in resume writing. You know, I thought I knew how to write a resume, but there are nuances of what you include, what you don't include, the order of it, and then even just a little bit more visually interesting. The fact that your cover letter gives you a chance to really craft your story. And I, that I felt was such a, a bonus and a blessing to me because I thought my career, you know, if you look at it in some ways, people are going to think I'm all over the map. I'm like Billy in the family circus. What have you been doing? Um, I wrote four books in the process, you know, just various things to keep me busy. But um, it gave me that focus and then allowed me to pull out the the skills that I had that I felt were transferable. Uh, then even simple things, like I remember a podcast where somebody said, when you go on the interview, do not wear a watch. Young people don't wear watches anymore. You're going to look dated. I thought, holy cow. Oh. Okay, I'll take my watch off. <laughs> um, just, I took tons of notes and it was just so encouraging. Oh, good. I'm thrilled to hear that. Uh, well, gosh, our time is, is already up and okay. I want to close. Uh, but, and it's, it's just been wonderful to have this conversation. Uh, but I do want to close with a question that we ask all of our podcast guests. And that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something we've already talked about today? Okay, well, besides totally getting into Ivy Launch, I would mm-hmm. say absolutely get on LinkedIn. I live on LinkedIn. Post a good profile, join the groups that are relevant to the field that interests you, then start commenting on what other people post and eventually start doing your own posts and reaching out to make connections. I've just found it absolutely invaluable. It gets you started, it keeps you going and I'm still all over LinkedIn today. That's great advice. And you know, your people's LinkedIn profiles are public documents. So we are talking to Pam Waterman and you can look her up <laughs> on LinkedIn um, at, and uh, see how Pam talked about, you know, her summary, her, the description of her enthusiasm, the enthusiasm of an intern and the insight of an industry veteran. You'll see that language and how she documented her career progress. So Pam, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're so welcome. It's delightful. Best wishes. Thank you. And thanks for listening to 321 Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch conferences and events, to sign up for our job board and access our return to work tools and resources, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.